Hello and welcome to the EDH RetCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he's not a con artist, he's a pre-con artist. It's Matt Morgan. So today I need to take the opportunity to apologize to all the Phyrexians out there for all the jokes I made about Phyrexian oil. It was awful crude of me, so I, I apologize. <laughs> the jokes were they, they were just very unrefined, and so I I I am sorry. <laughs> Next level, Matt. That's that's some impressive. I I I've gone from laughing at your jokes to like just having mad respect for them. I actually really yeah. dig that. Like, <laughs> I mean, you make a bad joke, then you apologize. You know, that's that's just that you know the drill. The drill? Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. Up next, he used a blink spell on the card Unblinking Bleb, and it totally broke the game in half. It's Dana Roach. Why does Donkey Kong wear a necktie? Oh, God, why? Monkey business. Yep, eh. yep. <sighs> <laughs> Matt's got the I, professional respect here. It's not. It's it's not. It's I not love your, that one. It's not your best work, Dana. But <laughs> it's, it's an old joke. But it checks out. Nice. Oh goodness, we we cannot be trusted with ourselves. <laughs> um, <Nope. laughs> anyway, what are we talking about in this episode, Matt? What are, what are we gonna What are we gonna try and discuss if we can get our act together one of these days? Well, since we used to do set reviews quarterly until every set came out every month, we decided we're gonna do a quarterly checkup on all the new cards we've gotten in twenty. 23 so far because there's there's a lot of cards that we've gotten and a lot of them are very cool so we're just going to take a second and appreciate all of them yeah our, our the cards from 2023 that we like so far although i'm not sure if quarterly is the right word for it because this one's coming out at the end of april um but yes we do want to talk about like you know edh in 2023 is starting pretty strong so we should uh absolutely talk about some of these cards that are really impressing us but you know before we get to it we do have some shout outs to cover first First, I'd like to thank Chase, also known as Mana Curves, for the help editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Mana Curves. Real quick, we also want to shout out Coalesce Apparel and Design, makers of absurdly cool magic-themed merch. Their Keeping It 100 series is legit. I love the Wind Grace Forever shirt. And we, of course, recommend the EDH Rec collection, too. And I gotta say, these shirts are comfy. Use code EDHREC at checkout for any of your Coalesce purchases for 10% off your order. Again, that's code EDHREC. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, just a great way to get yourself a little benefit back while directly supporting the show. And one of those benefits is getting the coveted weekly patron shout out. So this week, we want to give a very special thank you to Jeff Winger. Uh, just took flight, went over to <laughs> patreon.com slash edhretcast and subscribed. And we definitely appreciate it, Jeff. And uh, the community, wink, <laughs> nice, that you joined. Nice call, Matt. It's pretty great, isn't it? I don't understand this reference. Jeff Winger, my fifth favorite community cast member. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cool. Oh, all right. Now, now, now I'm with you. Uh, I, Matt, it sounded to me like you were just wingering it. Yeah. Uh, 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 get into the main topic. You, you ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. No, just, just like, got to get to the show. Green, Greendale forever, y'all. <laughs> okay, let's talk about cards we like from 2023 and our impressions of how the beginning of this year is feeling for EDH versus, you know, some of the you know impressions we've had for previous years. It'll be interesting at the end of the episode to compare those, I think. But for now, Dana, let's pass the mic off to you. Are there any cards that you've absolutely got to talk about because of how excited they are making you for Commander right this very minute? 
Um, <laughs> sure, I'll start with one. Excited, perhaps, is not the right word. Um, okay. <laughs> meeting of the minds. Um, my, <laughs> my favorite cards <laughs> routinely year in and year out are super efficient draw spells that just get you like two cards to hand. That's <laughs> how we're starting this minds. episode is with meeting of the minds. Are we? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, well, listen, it's like, it's, it's what, it's like my little safety blanket. I love those kind of cards. Three mana, three, excuse me, three and a blue for an instant. It has convoke. Draw two cards, and if you're playing in the right deck, it's just a free draw spell. You leave your mana up for a counter if you don't need the counter. Tap a couple of those tokens, draw two cards. That's amazing. That's an amazing draw spell. It's one of the best little small draw spells we've seen in a couple of years, probably since Expressive Iteration. Um, I just adore it. I've already got it, I think, in three different decks. I, I, it's those, just those little kind of cards. I, I find those kind of improvements to my decks fee, make everything feel better than like putting in whatever the giant new Grand Slam mythic is. I, I love those little tiny like mortar pieces that like glue everything together. And that's just one of the best ones we've gotten years. So so for me, that is the card that I'll probably put jammed <laughs> in the most decks out of at least the most recent set, Meeting of the Minds. Okay. I'm I'm so annoyed that we we were brainstorming the show topic. We were talking about all these big, fancy, powerful cards that we could be talking about that we, we've seen in 2020. And coming out of the gate swinging, Dana gives us Meeting of the Minds. So. It's so good. I love that card. D- Dana Dana has a type, everybody. And this <laughs> this is it. So. You know what? I, I will at least, you know, as long as we're talking about random little commons, I will actually actually shout out there's a new one Ren's Resolve also came out and like I, I should probably put this into the same category because here is a little common that I am also I would say unreasonably excited about this card too it's the two mana red sorcery exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards and that's just a new version of Reckless Impulse a, a red sorcery exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards and Reckless Impulse is showing up in 19,000 decks so far and like, yeah, these commons do put in a lot of work. So, Dana, I understand where you're coming from, but Matt might need to save us from our own worst impulses here and talk about some <laughs> of the, the big splashy cards uh, to really get us started. Matt, I think you might need to help us here. <laughs> I, I don't know if Meeting of Minds and Ren's Resolve are going to make for, like, a great YouTube splash banner with those cards <laughs> on it at all. It's going to, like, make make people really want to really click on the content. These are not... <laughs> These cards grease the wheels. They're just, yeah, they're good. You're putting so much on my shoulders today, guys. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate your vote of confidence, but also let's let's tone it down. But I, so I do have one. It's not super flashy, but it's going to be exciting. And it's going to lead to a lot of hilarious moments in those social games. And that card is Roar of Resistance. This card has me just jonesing for all the things. I, I love having my opponents do the work for me. Dana, you, you, you kind of pass it on to me. And so Roar of Resistance is one in a red for an enchantment that says creature tokens you control have haste. Already great. But whenever one or more creatures attack, you may pay one in a red. And if you do, creatures attacking your opponents and or planeswalkers they control get plus two plus oh until end of turn. So <laughs> you're basically able to repeatedly buff everybody else's creatures because it's not just limited to creatures you control that get the buff. Mm. You, If, say, Dana attacks Joey, which he should if you go to twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. <laughs> I know. Dana attacks Joey. I can pay the the one in a red and give Dana's creatures a nice little nice little bonus as a treat to to go after Joey. So I, I love these types of cards. You know, Avatar of Slaughter and all these different cards like that. I love them. And so this card, I'm definitely putting in a couple decks because of just the the controlled chaos that it's going to spark into games. 
just to incentivize people to to hit each other a little bit more i yeah yeah it's uh i really look forward to you buffing up danish creatures when they attack me which i know is going to happen yeah this is a good pick <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's a spell yes you can only use that ability one time per attack but but if you're playing a deck with multiple attack steps you can oh. do it for the first attack do it for the second attack i'm not sure how often that's going to happen like if i was playing like a red deck that had a bunch of multiple attack step abilities whether it's you know sorceries or enchantments creatures whatever and that was the strategy i was leaning into Mm. i would be very much considering this just for the ability to stack that for every subsequent swing well and the cool part about this is trumpet blast is a card that it it exists it's it's a card doesn't see a ton of play but it's three mana for an instant that does it one time and this Mm. it's one in a red to give all creatures plus two plus so that are attacking somebody else so you're able to repeat this. You're going to get so much mana investment out of this. It is so powerful. It's so great. And the fact that you can just do it every single turn at every single combat, that's even better. It's it's so great. Yeah, yeah, that is a neat one. All right, I'm going to try and break out of the common stuff here. I'll pick <laughs> a, an exciting card of my own here. My card was uh, a rare, uh, Joey. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, I'm talking for myself. I mentioned a common before. Okay. Now I'm going to okay. move on to a proper rare for me. Um, I... I've <laughs> I pre-ordered six copies of this card. It's called Breach the Multiverse, and it makes me the happiest I've been in a long time. Um, coming soon to a Sir Conrad deck near you. Breach the Multiverse is a seven-mana sorcery that says each player mills ten cards, and then for each player, you choose a creature or planeswalker card in that player's graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control, and then each creature you control becomes a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. This is a Sepulchral Primordial on a spell. And it also mills people, and I'm so unreasonably excited about this. This this is so much value. My Conrad deck is going berserk. And frankly, all my graveyard decks, which is all my decks, are going berserk over this thing. Yeah, it, it just does all of the things you want to do if you are playing in black. I mean, for the most part, like that's there's just a, a lot of juice in this particular card. And seven mana is a lot, um, but it's worth the seven mana. Like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be a devastating effect in a whole bunch of different decks. Yeah, it's quite literally Sepulchral Primordial. It's the seven mana. It gets somebody else's right. thing yeah. from their graveyard. But instead of putting it on a body, you put it on, oh, you just get to mill 10 cards. So even if somebody doesn't have anything great in their graveyard already, it's going to find something. More than likely, it's going to find something. Yeah. And so, yeah, just it, the, the balance. And I love what Watsi does when they take a card they know is it just exists and they, they tweak it a little bit to make it something completely new. Uh, there's a card that I'm very, very excited about kind of in the same vein uh, it, where it's, it's infernal sovereign where it's four black, black for a six, six demon with flying and trample. You skip your draw step. And whenever you play a land or cast a spell, you draw a card and you lose one life. So same thing as Joey, you know, your, your card is kind of a tweak on Spokro Primordial. This is kind mm-hmm. of a tweak on Recycle. I mm. love when they bring back cards like that. Like, give me a simple, elegant design that fits a theme or whatever. Give me that over a 100-word novel, dual-faced card any day of the week. <laughs> 100%. Like, just give me something cool and elegant, but like, I find beauty in like a simply designed but effective card. And stuff like that, It I, I enjoy these types of cards. So I, I can see why you like Breach the Multiverse, Joey. I have one of my own as well. Dana, do you have rares? So, I, that- so there's this this really efficient common I want to talk about. No. <laughs> Since we're, we're, we are talking about things like that. I, I, I will say all is one would be the one that jumps out at me. Um, three double red for an enchantment. Whenever you put one or more counters on a permanent or player, 
all will be one deals that much damage to target opponent creature and opponent controls or planeswalker and opponent controls. It's not the kind of card that you're like you're just jamming into every deck. You have to probably have some kind of a specific counter strategy in the list you're building. But if you do, <laughs> like there's a lot of situations where if all is or excuse me, if all will be one is in play, there's cards where you're just gonna kill somebody. Yeah. Uh, there's there's and there's plenty of them. As if the dice rolls on, like, say, Ancient Bronze Dragon wasn't interesting <laughs> enough. Now you have a chance to, you know, deal 10-plus damage to multiple different people's faces. Or there's cards like Ignition Team. It doesn't see that much play, but in plus-one counter decks, it's a pretty decent card. Um, Ignition Team enters the battlefield with X plus-one counters on it, where X is the number of tapped lands in the battlefield. Like, there's plenty of times you just cast Ignition Team or something like... Realm Seekers that gets a plus one counter when it comes into play for the total number of cards in all players' hands. Like, those just become kill spells almost in the right deck. Yeah. Um, in addition to just the chip damage you're going to get in plenty of situations as well. So I, it, it just is a super fun card in the right list. And uh, I have not got it out in the two decks where I'm running it yet, but I am looking forward to all kinds of fun uh, direct damage to face shenanigans when I finally get it out. The only critique I have of All Will Be One is that I think it's weird that Red got the name All Will Be One when that's very much like this was Elish Norn set and Red is more about freedom and stuff. So like the flavor is weird to me, but it's a red enchantment that deals a butt ton of damage. Um, So everything else tracks. And if I see this across the field, I'm like, oh, I I, I better watch out because like if two turns go by with this thing on the battlefield, I'm probably not here anymore. Yeah, like no one's putting All Will Be One into their deck and with without the intention of doming you for a dozen. Yeah. That's just how that card's going to work. So, yeah, a big fan of it. And um, a fla- flavor maybe fail aside with the name. <laughs> I, I love the card. I, I, I like that red... When even if there isn't like a theme, like plus one plus one counters or just counters in general, isn't really something that red is known for, but it still has a chance to kind of explore that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, and I kind of like how they're doing that in an aria of flame type of execution where, yeah, yeah, you, you do the thing and it's going to nug you for it. And, and same thing aria flame kind of does whenever you cast the instant sorcery, you're going to build up to these big, big explosive turns where you're just hitting people for a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, that's a really great comparison. And, and hey, Matt. This card would pair really well with a card that we both put down in the notes here called Conclave Sledge Captain, which I can imagine you're a big fan of. That, like that, that card is so ridiculous. Like whenever you have a <laughs> whenever you have an effect that's gonna do something, and then you do it more than once on the card, like when you cascade, 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 uh, you back up, back up, back up, <laughs> and it, it's so good. Like you're getting so much value and just rewarding you for having an established battlefield and just continuing to add to it and developing it instead of going all in on one specific thing going wide i i'm i love the combat step i love creatures so rewarding me for having more and more creatures that's just that's just gravy Mm-hmm. Conclave Sledge Captain, the six mana four four elephant soldier in green that says backup one, backup one, backup one, and that backup ability is when this creature enters the battlefield, you put a plus one counter on target creature. If that's another creature, that creature gains the following abilities until end of turn, and each backup ability triggers separately. So you could give out a bunch of plus one counters, and for one turn, give out the abilities that this card also has: trample, and whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, put that many plus one counters on it. So you could give three instances of those abilities to a single creature or give that ability to three different creatures mm-hmm. or just make this thing itself really, really big. And if you happen to have an all will be one out when any of those creatures hits a person, you're going to oh, put no. a, just a ton of plus one counters on something. So yeah, it's oh, no. really good. 
I would just like to note too, backup is kind of a great ability. Yes. It's yes. so cool. It, it doesn't really feel like anything we've we've gotten before, but it's also very intuitive. Sometimes, you know, when you get abilities that, that aren't like something we've seen before, they really have to be out there. This one isn't. It's really simple and clean, um, but it doesn't feel like something we've seen before. It's also very powerful. I, I have was a big fan of it in the pre-release, and I am absolutely looking forward to to backing up three different times when I cast this card. Well, and then when you, you, you compare the backup mechanic to bolster and support way back when, those, they tried. But this <laughs> one absolutely incentivizes you for using the mechanic. You know, just putting a plus one, plus one counter or a few counters on creatures, that's well and good. But giving them additional abilities, mm-hmm. sure, it's kind of a, oh, power creep, oh no. But also, to me, this is so much more interesting when you're able to give these very cool abilities just for one turn out and, and, and establishing all these fun things that you can be doing, like making them just get a oodles of plus one, plus one counters on on them. That's that's great. I like it. Let's let's play more of these. Let's see more of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool ability. Effectively, that ability has haste if you already have a creature in play. Yeah, and exactly. It's, just, it's nice, right, it's nice yeah. versatility. I, I'm way into it. Clever Concealment is one that I've been a fan of, too. Um, it, it's, it's a card that we've had out for a month or two now. Um, so I've been able to actually play it in multiple games. It's two white, white for an instant. It has Convoke and any number of target non-land permanents you control phase out. Mm. So what's really nice about phasing is it lets you dodge things that are really tough to dodge, like Cyclonic Rift, for example. Yeah. Um, it just lets you avoid dealing with whatever, like, Bane of Progress or, uh, you know, Acroma's Vengeance or any kind of wipe that's going to take out your stuff. It lets you avoid it and... At at two white white, that's a pretty reasonable cost. But the fact that you get to use your con- convoke to make it cost maybe nothing in the right deck if you have uh, enough white permanence is fantastic. Um, I'm I'm running it I think three or four different decks so far, and every time I've had it in hand, I've used it to great effect to basically turn someone else's board wipe into a one sided wipe that didn't touch me, um, or to dodge some kind of a thing that was going to keep me from winning on the next turn. It's just been like basically a second copy of Teferi's Protection in a deck, and did we need a second Teferi's Protection? <laughs> Maybe not, but I'm but I'm running it, so there we go. Yeah, this thing already shows up in 10,000 decks, and we haven't had it around for that long. Like, it's in 4% of the decks that can play it, and rightly so. A trick that I really like is, like, blocking with your creatures and then using this to phase them out. So, like, right. stuff counts as blocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if it had trample, then yes, the trample damage would go through. But, you know, in terms of this, you can, like, save your own chump blockers and any creatures that would have died otherwise. And that's just another extra cherry on top of this already extremely versatile card. Well, and, and the precedent for this card with Teferi's Protection, like you said, Dana, having a budget version of that that you can cast potentially for free, I I love that. And getting a second copy. So yeah, if you, if you already have Teferi's Protection, you probably want to play this because having a backup copy, you know, why not both type of question that Joey loves to ask. Mm-hmm. But yeah, being able to cast that for free, and that's well worth the trade-off of, of one extra mana. That's such a powerful effect. And Convoke, in theory... It makes you use your creatures to to reduce the cost, but you're giving up those creatures' ability to use their to use their abilities or to block or whatever. Mm-hmm. Except most of the time, you're going to use clever concealment. You're trying to save those creatures anyway, so like you don't care if they're tapped or, or their abilities are no longer accessible because the point is you want them to not be destroyed. Yes. So yes, you have to tap those four creatures to to make it cost nothing, but like you're gonna 
be phased out anyway and not worry about the problem. So not that big of a deal. Yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those cards where the Convoke really isn't a cost very much, very significantly worth worrying about at all. Yeah, yeah, that that four mana cost makes this look like oh, it's more expensive. No, it, this is free. Like it, it is free, yeah. and it it very much. And and the fact that it lets you also hit not just your own creatures. It doesn't just save your creatures like many of yep. the white protection spells oh. that we are used to, giving yourself indestructible. Permanent. It also oh. allows you to hit yeah. any of your non-land permanents. If someone was trying to destroy my enchantment, I can phase out the enchantment. Really, it's it's fascinating how effective bringing back phasing for commander games has been like what a what a cool thing for that ability to get a renaissance it's almost as cool as bringing back the ability for joey to segue and to challenge the stats <laughs> what wow how do you like them apples we fellas should have seen that coming matt we, sh- we should have seen that one coming <laughs> dana, dana i want to talk about staff of the storyteller do you want to talk about that with no me real no quick? matt do not take this away from me <laughs> Matt, no. <laughs> so, Joey, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was thinking the exact same words you were, but you just hamstrung <laughs> me and, and, and forced it. So, for the first time in 2023, it only took two magic sets for you to get this in. We'll, we can go to challenge stats when you decide we will. Well played. Yes. I have gotten back the power. I feel so strong. Um, what do I say? It's been so long since I've gotten the challenge stats segue <laughs> that I forget how to do it. <laughs> don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. EDH Rec is full of stats and sometimes we disagree with them. <laughs> so we this go. week we're there going you to go. <laughs> take a moment to challenge stats right after a quick break. Well, my challenge of stats here on this inaugural Joey reclaiming his Segway crown <laughs> episode um, was suggested to us by a listener at DDFT1289. Um, and a DDFT suggested the card Everlasting Torment in Decks that are running the card we just talked about a few minutes ago, all will be one. Only about 8% decks that are able to run Everlasting Torment mm. in an all be one deck are running it. And Everlasting Torment is two and hybrid Rakdos, so it's two and a black or two and a red. It says it's an enchantment. It says players can't gain life, damage can't be prevented, and all damage is dealt as though its source had wither. So that's just genuinely a, a really good card all on its own. But if you are playing all be one in your deck, it's effectively a one-sided board wipe at any point where a single point of damage from any source is dealt to an opponent's creature because it will get a minus one counter on it, which will then trigger all be one, which allows you to do a point of damage to one of your opponent's creatures, which will put a minus one counter on it, which will then generate a all be one trigger. (gasps) So basically, whenever a point of damage is dealt to any of your opponent's creatures, you just wipe all of your opponent's stuff off the board. Um, and, you know, sometimes for, like, these really good combos, you're running cards that aren't independently useful on their own. Everlasting Torment is just a really useful card if you can play it just in a general sense. And if you happen to be playing a deck that can run all be one because it has a bunch of counters, that is a fantastic addition, whether it's just by itself or you happen to have both out. So totally in agreement here with a DDFT way more than the 8% of decks that are able to run both of them simultaneously should be running them both at the same time. I fully did not clock that all will be one also triggers when you put counters on a permanent or player like your opponents. I fully didn't even like, oh yeah, if you put minus one counters on your opponent's stuff, that counts. I thought it was just one on your own. Oh, mm-hmm. Bruh, that's great. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Ah. Oh. 
well, shoot, I'm going to I'm going to move on to my challenge now, but I'm going to be distracted thinking about how cool that one is. But it's OK. Uh, I've got a, a cool <laughs> challenge here, and it actually um, is for a deck that puts counters onto players. I want to talk about Vishgraz, the Doom Hive, which is that new Obzon Infecti commander. It is the five mana, three, three Phyrexian insect with menace and toxic one. And when Vishgraz the Doom Hive enters the battlefield, you create three 1 1 colorless Phyrexian Might artifact creature tokens with Toxic 1, and those creatures can't block. And Vishgraz also gets plus 1 plus 1 for each poison counter that your opponent have. Whew, a lot of text on these things. Basically, big scary obs on infect toxic situation going on here. And recently, when I was at the Command Fest in Seattle, I played against a listener of the show named Lindsay, who had a really slick piece of tech in her Vishgraz deck. It was Low Shield Clockwork Scholar. From from the uh, lore hold precon, I believe, a 3-mana 2-4 Elephant Artificer that prevents all combat damage that would be dealt to attacking artifact creatures you control and draws you a card the first time that an artifact creature enters the battlefield under your control each turn. And this made those might tokens so much more terrifying because they would just attack willy-nilly and never go away because combat damage was always being prevented to them. And Vishgraz loves to be flickered with a bunch of little teleportation circle effects as well. So more might tokens were constantly entering. So Loshia was also drawing cards for this deck. It was a really scary time. I absolutely loved this. This was a cool way to keep all of those mites alive so that they can bring tons more poison to your opponents. If you are playing Vishgraz, genuinely give Loshia a look. It put in a a lot of work that game. Lindsay, I'm terrified. Thank you so much for bringing this one to our attention. Less of a thank you for all the poison counters, though, even though it was an amazing time. Well, I'm going to transition us out to a card that a lot of us have talked about a little bit, but it's it's making its way into decks, rightfully so. But there's some deck concessions that I think folks maybe aren't cu quite keeping up with. So in Moldroth of the Gravetide decks, which is the Sultai colored you're doing everything from the graveyard every single turn. It's just one of the most popular commanders of all turn. If you don't know what Moldrotha does, uh, just go play somewhere. <laughs> but Kankerbloom is a card that is showing up in 80% of Moldrotha decks since Kankerbloom was released. So Kankerbloom is one in a green for a 3-2 Phyrexian Fungus that has, you can pay one mana and sacrifice it to choose one, and you can destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or proliferate. So 80% of decks. That is a lot. That's That it qualifies near as staple territory for a Moldrotha deck. Mm. But one thing that folks aren't really doing as much is taking out the cards that it is meant to replace. So there are a lot of cards in the deck that kind of fill this role. We've had Caustic Caterpillar for years and years, which is one of the, kind of the, the key kind of face cards for this type of effect, where you can pay some mana, you sacrifice the creature, and then it basically get a disenchant type of effect. Caustic Caterpillar is in 39% of the 11,000, almost 12,000 Moldrotha decks out there. But you also have cards like Reclamation Sage, Acidic Slime, all sorts of different cards that have some sort of disenchant or destroy something whenever it comes into play. So if you are putting in Canker Bloom, like so many other Moldrotha players are, make sure that you're cutting back on one of these other cards that does the same thing. You can only have so much density, and especially because, too, you're trying to cast a different creature every turn. You're trying to cast a different enchantment every turn. So if you have three or four of these effects, you can only cast one. And so really you're just over-densifying the deck, which that's not a real word, but you get the idea. <laughs> so if you are putting in Canker Bloom, make sure you're taking out one of those similar types of cards that you want to replace it with because you only need so many types of that effect with how efficient Moldrotha is. You only want a couple of these effects. So make sure you're slimming down on these when you're putting in a new card like Canker Bloom. 
the ones that operate at instant speed, especially. So Canker Bloom, mm-hmm. another big one, super good for Muldrotha is Haywire Might, which is also an artifact. Yep. But like, yeah, they have sacrifice abilities that let you function at instant speed. And I just did some uh, quick use of the advanced filters on EDHREC, and Ooh. 31% of players who are using Canker Bloom are still using Reclamation Sage, for example. And yeah, that is the kind of the thing, Matt, like you said, I think if you've got a Haywire Might, a Seal of Primordium, a Canker Bloom, the instant speed is going to serve you a lot better than the ones that only work on the stuff on your own turn and so yeah this uh becomes a a density issue as you said get that instant speed in there you know what frankly i mean canker bloom is also another relatively new uncommon and i mean as long as we're talking about you know new cards that have us excited uh, matt i know that we were supposed to talk about rares and stuff but i can't help myself from bringing up another uncommon is that okay um i I think i just need really badly to talk about kami of whispered hopes because this is a new uncommon that blows my mind um the three mana one one spirit that has the hardened scales effect if one or more plus one counters would be put on a permanent you control that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that permanent instead and it can tap for mana equal to its own power. What is this card? Kami of Whispered Hopes is amazing. Like, I know it says a silver symbol on there, but that reads like a rare to me. This card's bonkers cool. Well, yeah, because you you have Hardened Scales, which is already a rare card that does effectively this minus the tap for mana ability. This is this does a lot for an uncommon. It does so much. <laughs> does so much. It's so good. Well, it, it, it's one of those situations like... When we got Tireless Provisioner, I was like, oh, I didn't know Tireless Tracker needed to be better, but apparently it was. But here we are. That's kind of what situation here. I'm like, oh, I didn't. There's also, there's already multiple cards that like do a similar thing. I'm like, I didn't know we needed a better version of that, but I mean, I'm going to run it in my my decks (laughs) where I run the the older, not quite as good version. So yeah, it's kind of, I was definitely, it was one of the cards where I saw it and I was like, I must be missing something. It can't be doing all of those things. And yes, it is. Yeah, what, what what if Mowu was just more efficient and also tapped for mana? <laughs> right. A lot of mana. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to play this. And and well, and you say a lot of mana, but like that's that's a good point, Matt, because in the deck where like you're not gonna be running this in just as like a casual mana dork in a deck. This is going to be going in a plus one counters themed deck where it's going to be tapped for 10 mana. Yeah. This isn't just like going to occasionally get a counter or two on it and tap for two or three mana and feel really strong. There's going to be, if this is going to be index where it's going to be tapping for just all of the mana. Well, because Gyre Sage is already played in 38,000 decks. Right. <laughs> and this is better yeah. than Gyre Sage because yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, it's so silly that like this, this is an uncommon. Have I mentioned this is an uncommon? Right. This card is an uncommon. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm glad that Dana, we we've corrupted Matt. We've gotten him on to being okay with not just talking about rares. We we did it, buddy. <laughs> High five. You everybody every everybody gets one. I mean, I, the rest of my cards actually they're they're all rares, so that 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 adds up. But one card that I, I, maybe it's a little narrow, but I love narrow cards that fit and just do so many cool things for specific decks. But Guardian Scale Scale Lord, that's just the best Sun Titan since Sun Titan. Like as good as Sun Titan was back in 2012, that's how good this is in 2023, which is saying a lot because Sun Titan was everywhere back when it was originally printed and you were playing Commander. So Guardian Scale Lord is four and a white for a dragon. It's a three, four with flying and has backup one. So again, when it enters the battlefield, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. And if the, if that creature is another creature, you put these abilities on that creature until end of turn. So you can give another creature a plus one, plus one counter, flying, and then most importantly, when this creature attacks, you return target non-land permanent with mana value X or less 
from your graveyard to the battlefield where X is this creature's power. Mm -hmm. So Sun Titan was played in thousands of decks. It was probably one of the most played white creatures for the longest time. It's still up there. It's still played in thousands upon thousands of decks. But Guardian Scale Lord is absolutely bug nutty. Holy cow. I don't know why more people aren't talking about this because it's just such a powerful way to spread out the reanimation in white, which, Joey, I know you don't like non-black colors but it's it's reanimator you have to like this card oh yeah oh put the put the plus encounter on whatever sun scorch regent situation that you've got going on and then just revive literally anything that you want from your graveyard mm-hmm. like because the sun scorch regent's power is enormous that yeah no this card is absolutely excellent and again it's a plus one counters deck this card will not stay a three four for very long it's no. going to keep getting back all of the stuff you play i love it as someone who has a Selesnia Dragons deck <laughs> that has a plus one counter sub theme in it, <laughs> yeah. if you asked me to design a dragon for my Selesnia Dragon deck, <laughs> I don't know if I would like have the nerve to design something better than this because I would feel like I was cheating. I, I think <laughs> this would be better than a design I would have came up with because I wouldn't have wanted to push the limits of what they would allow. This is just, for for my deck, a absolute perfect card and just generally a ridiculously useful dragon in, in decks even that aren't caring about the dragon portion. Mm-hmm. So so basically, you would have designed this card selfishly for your own decks. Absolutely, much in yes. the Much in the same way that the professor from Tolarian Community College would have selfishly designed Vodelian Wave Knight, which is another narrow, super self-serving card for all of his <laughs> merfolk deck, because this card is pretty much the same thing. So Vodelian Wave Knight, two in Azorius colors for a 3-3 merfolk knight, and whenever you draw a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other merfolk and or knight you control. Whenever you draw a card, it doesn't have to be your second card, it hasn't. whenever you draw just any card... What the heck are they doing? This is fantastic. <laughs> right after I turn my blue-white merfolk deck into a pre-EDH, so I can't even play it anymore. Oh, that's right. You've got your SIG uh, River Guide deck. I do. I do. This might tempt you to make it into just your regular EDH instead of that restriction anymore, bud. This is a... Oh, no. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to put it in my Council of Four deck because that card makes a lot of knights, and I draw a lot of cards oh, because what? my opponents let me make a lot of knights. So oh, that's no. where I'm putting this card. Oh, that's a problem. I, I mean, I love that for you. I hate that for me. <laughs> it's not really a problem. It's just, again, if I could selfishly design a card for one of my own decks, it's very specific and narrow. Vidalian Wave Knight might be that, just like Dana would have designed Guardian Scale Lord. Yeah. I, here, here's another thing that jumps out to me. And Matt, I think this is a card that you, it will resonate strongly with you as well. And there's a different type of narrowness to it. Like this card is uh-huh. way, way good. It's a tribute to the world tree is another that's recently come out. And I'm mega excited about this one. It's so good. So it's green, green, green for an enchantment that says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, put two plus one counters onto it. So it, you'll make it a big creature. And if it already is a big creature, you'll draw a card. So another version of Elemental Bond, for example. The thing I love most about this is that it's triple green pips. Wizards of the Coast, yes, more of this. The triple green pips, making sure that this isn't just like one green green or two in a green, making this a little bit harder to justify in multicolored decks is perfect absolutely perfect this card is strong i'm really excited to play it but i like that it doesn't feel like it can go just anywhere that's the type of narrowness we are hungry for and that we love to see absolutely the fact that you can't just splash this in your five color deck like you could guardian project for example Mm -hmm. um 
I, I really like. I, I like you being forced to make those difficult choices, and this is an this is a card that is going to be good in a deck that can run it. But you have to make that decision about whether or not you're going to make enough green mana to justify it. Um, and you know, not a lot of decks that aren't two colors or less are going to be able to do that. So yeah, really good way to to temper how widespread the card will be played by just tweaking the mana cost on it. I mean, and, and I know that we're we're talking a lot about how the mana cost makes it valuable and, and it's a really cool design idea that we've we've been personally on this podcast very happy about. Mm-hmm. But also we're just talking about the effectiveness of the card. Like Garrick's Pack Leader is a very direct analogy. That's played in over 22,000 decks. You also have Kavu Layer. You have all, sor- all sorts of different cards like this. Elemental Bond. Yeah, Elemental Bond, 73,000 decks. You have a ton of precedent for this card being very popular in Commander. So yes, we, we want this effect. But I yes, again, to build off what you said, not only is it a good design choice to prevent it from being just, oh, I'm just going to splash it in my five-color deck, whatever, but... It's a powerful card. Not only do you get the draw effect from the power three or greater, but if it's not a power three or greater creature, it's going to be there soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like speaking of cards that have kind of a built-in control on them, um, we've talked a lot in the past about how we like the the three mana mana rocks that have the upside, particularly ones that are like dedicated to a certain color. Mm-hmm. Um, Wand of the World Souls, we've talked about what the the future eventual white three mana rock would look like, and we, we got it this time. Wand of the World Soul, two and a white. Um, it taps for white mana, and it taps to make the next spell you cast this turn have Convoke. But it comes into play tapped, so like there's a lot of kind of roadblocks built in to make you really only want to run this in a deck that does probably go wide, probably with tokens. Um, but I think that does seem fair. I, I, I do think if this was, if it didn't have that ETB tap clause, there's just so many decks that where, where, where if you are running white, you probably want to run this because there are situations where it's going to functionally be tapping for like three or four or five mana sometimes because of the ability to convoke the small creatures you have. And it coming into play tap makes you have to think about those choices a little bit more. I like that. It's a really powerful card in the right deck, but you have to be intentional about knowing the fact that it's you know going to cost three and not two and it's not going to work that first turn. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say to everybody, if if I go to an event, like we're going to Magic Fest Minneapolis, for example, if you want me to sign a card, I would love to sign this card because the flavor text even calls me out by name. The flavor text says, <laughs> yeah, may Matt Selesnia bind our hearts as one. There we go. So it's it's just meant to be. I, I also like this card, Dana. Like you said, it can very easily tap for five, six mana sometimes. Just yeah. whatever you're trying to do gives something that shouldn't ever have Convoke because it's just cheating basically mm-hmm. and put convoke on it and, and i also want to point out dana i'm really proud of you because three of the cards you've brought up so far have been creature heavy convoke spells so nice job there too <laughs> you're, you're all that matt selesnia action is uh getting all that matt selesnia action yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah I, I i cannot wait to see matt use all of his avenger of zendikar tokens to pump out an enormous grand crescendo where x is equal to a billion because of this wand of the world soul mm-hmm. actually no no yeah i can wait for that actually matt Please don't do that. Please don't do that to me. I can't make any promises, but you're just giving me ideas at this point. Actually, you know, as long as we're talking about tokens, I feel like I have to bring up my guy, Mondrak Glory Thomas. The the new anointed procession, basically. Like, what is this? The, like, Phyrexia All Will Be One brought us this new, amazing, like, Praetor God situation that doubles the number of tokens that you make and even has a sacrifice outlet that can make it indestructible. I... Who... 
what yes just yes i'm my Thalys deck is so happy about this every token deck is just like yo uh hi <laughs> it's just it's just dang good I, uh, yeah, I'm happy. This is a happy boy. I mean, every one of the Dominus cards are, are good, <laughs> but Mondrak is probably the one that's, like, generally speaking, in, in, in what White wants to be doing plays best into that. Yeah, I just, it, it, good mythic card is really, really stinking good. I had yeah. to face one at the pre-release for all be one. I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's already showing up in 20,000 decks on EDHREX, so 7% of yeah. decks that are eligible to play it. But, I mean, Anointed Procession is showing up in 10% of decks that are eligible to play it, and that's 103,000 decks. So, like, yeah, we knew this one was going to be a banger. This isn't a revelation to anyone. But, yeah, Mondrak, way good. Way, way, way good. Well, so I'll add in a card. So you have a card that likes to make tokens. I will I will suggest a card that likes it when you make tokens that we I tried to talk about, but Joey just wanted to have his own segue for once. <laughs> and it's a card we've actually we've already challenged the stats on so far once this year. But Staff of the Storyteller, I, Idol of Oblivion is a very, very powerful card. Played in almost 75,000 decks. Staff of the Storyteller is just better. It makes a body. You don't have to tap it to draw a card the turn that you make a token. You can bank those you can bank those story counters on Staff of the Storyteller. It's so stinking good, folks. I I freaking love this card. It's been so good. Uh, apparently it's legacy playable, which yeah, who really? freaking knew about that? What? Wow. But yeah, I, yeah. St Staff of the Storyteller is just fantastic all around. I I love this card. It does a lot of things that I like to do. So I you suggested a card, Joey, that likes to make tokens. I will suggest a card you should play with Mondrak. Well, if you like your Staff of the Storyteller and how effective it is in your deck, what you could always do is just turn your Mycosynth Gardens into a second copy of Staff of the Storyteller. Or really <laughs> any artifact you have that happens to be useful. Yeah. Um, Mycosynth Gardens uh, is one of those cards where it, it was part of a sequence of, of spheres we got, and most of them were relatively narrow. Um, but not the Mycosynth Gardens. That card is just good in almost every deck. It, it feels a little bit like... Back when we got a bunch of those deserts in Amonkhet, most of which don't see much play and are pretty specifically narrow, mm -hmm. except for Scavenger Grounds, it's just amazing everywhere. Hey, hey, um, we don't we don't bring that card up on this podcast. We don't <laughs> yeah, talk sorry, about sorry. Exile in my graveyard. That's, hey, that, hey, that's, hey, that's that's on me. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, Mike Sense Gardens. I mean, like, are are you playing a Soul Ring? Well, hey, maybe you could just turn it into a Soul Ring. That you know, like that's the worst case scenario, kind of with it, right? <laughs> um, in, in, if the worst case scenario is spending one mana to make a second copy of Soul Ring, that's Probably pretty good. Now, it, it it becomes a copy of a thing. So, like, if the artifact you control has something that matters on ETB or something, like, there's there's a few situations where I've run into, in, into corner cases where, like, hey, I wanted to copy this, you know, Cage Sun or something. And, like, oh, you have to name something when Cage Sun comes into play, so it doesn't really work copying that kind of effect. Okay. But, again, there, there's just so many, like, really efficient things you can do to copy. Um, you know, if the worst thing you do is spend six mana to make a second Worm Coil engine, you're probably doing all right. Yeah, turn this into another sneaky creature as well. Like if it's about to be your turn and you're like, hey, I'll have another copy of one of my artifact creatures. Mm -hmm. Just pay some mana, put that into it. Here's a surprise extra attacker that you didn't know about when you were passing the turn to me. Right. There's a lot of extra utility. This is not quite a mirage mirror, obviously, but the fact that this is just taking up a land slot right. and it like doesn't cost you anything other than just being, a, and it doesn't even come in tapped. Like, right. yeah, that's neat. This is way cool. I mean, I just want to point out that you, you both have talked about the number one and the number four most played cards from the set. But <laughs> I'm not saying that's wrong, but also like it just goes to show 
that these cards are not just powerful, but they're popular. People are already latching onto them. Yeah. And you probably want to grab copies pretty quick before they get expensive. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also just really happy for Dana because he found another non-basic land so he can play even fewer basics in his deck that already <laughs> <laughs> his decks already play so few yep, basics that, in the first place. So. Yeah. That too. <laughs> you are not wrong. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as long as we're talking about a classic Dana thing where he really likes not playing basics in all of his decks, I guess I'll finish off with my favorite thing, also a classic Joey thing, playing Golgari colors. Who knew? But I just really enjoy the simple, lovely elegance of the card Yargle and Multani. Three black, black, green for a frog spirit elemental that's just an 18-6. Doesn't have any text on it. I'm just like this... This is great. This is just wonderful to me. I'm absolutely going to be slapping this into a number of decks, but I'm also just happy by the elegance of it. And like, Matt, I feel like you'll resonate strongly here. Look, Wizards of the Coast, we don't need a bunch of commanders that have 4,000 words of rule text on them. Sometimes these simple, elegant, uh, little small designs here are actually the perfect way to go. This is just, I absolutely love this. This is so fun to me. And if you slap an Indomitable Might onto it so that it will deal combat damage no matter whether it's blocked and it also gets a plus three, plus three, I think it makes for a deeply scary commander in addition to being really fun in a deck. So... I just enjoy the this nice last wave of simplicity here with the Yargle and Multani. I mean, there there is some, um, some amount of chuckle factor to this card too, because Yargle, we yeah, we we get the the Yargle memes, but adding it to Multani and the conversation in the flavor text, that's probably <laughs> what gets me too. You know, it's Multani saying something very serious, and then Yargle just responds with some guttural noises to be generous <laughs> yeah but, but there's just so many commanders that care about just like oh i have a huge amount of power like verols is going to care about this to scavenge for a bunch of plus one counters that's why i want this card from a mimiplasm deck gerard golgari lich lords and zyatora decks are about to fling this at people's faces dana used to have a crush deck like if this thing perishes crashes like sweet all those 18 counters go to me now like there are so many commanders out there that care about sheer power of your creatures right, yeah. and this is going to enable so many of those amazing types of strategies and that's very exciting and just very elegantly done well speaking of like elegantly designed cards tyvar's stand x in a green for an instant target creature you control gets plus x plus x and gains hex proof and indestructible until the end of turn that's really really simple and clean and it just does all of the things <laughs> you want to be doing in a green deck. Um, if you need to just save a creature from someone removing it, one green mana and you just cast it and keep that thing from being blown up. If you want to alpha strike someone to death, then you just pump all your mana into it. And not only can you possibly kill them, but like they can't really respond to it either because their creature has hexproof and indestructible. Um, it's it's kind of a modal card without saying it's a modal card. It just does a ton of different things. And, um, you know, I, I only have one deck where I'm running it currently, but I've used it really, really often, basically as a Tamiyo safekeeping. Yeah. Like I don't think I've had a chance to use the X on it yet, but just using it to save something someone's trying to remove in a deck that doesn't usually have access to counter spells is very, very powerful. I, I love this card whenever I've seen it so far. Hey, wait, Dana, are you going back to the uncommons again? Is that what you're... He did, he did go back to the uncommons again. <laughs> I, I, yes, I, yes, I am. <laughs> no, I, I feel you, though. And that's probably why this card is already showing up in 11,000 decks that are able to play it. Because Tamiyo Safekeeping is showing up in 55,000 decks. Like, that's... Right. Yeah. Like, Tamiyo Safekeeping can protect any of your permanents, but this can protect any of your creatures. But it also buffs them. So, uh, yeah, I, I attack you. You try to remove my thing. 
in response, you can't remove my thing and it also hits you harder. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you and your uncommons, you and your slick little uncommons. This is, again, I see why it's exciting. <laughs> like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. So Dana has a type and we, we've said this many times. So I also have a type <laughs> of cards that I like to talk about, which usually are cards that haven't been out long enough for Joey to think that they're real cards. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about a card that hasn't even been printed yet, but we have seen it and I'm very excited about it. So Tom Bombadil, yeah. folks, there's a Lord of the Rings set coming out. And I promised Joey I would only talk about one Lord of the Rings card and Tom Bombadil. <laughs> oh, this card is so stinking. But I, I don't even like five color commanders. I'm going to build a five-color commander because, A, it's it's Lord of the Rings, but also Tom Bombadil. It's great. Uh, so so Tom Bombadil is a 4-4 legendary god bard. And as long as there are four or more lore counters among sagas you control, Tom Bombadil has Hexproof and Indestructible. And whenever the final chapter ability of a saga you control resolves, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a saga card. Put that card on the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random random order. And this ability only triggers once per turn because at least they had the decency to say once per turn. <laughs> But this is so cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can tell you're excited. You you made your Alila deck all, all about sagas yes. and stuff. And now you're just going to be able to expand into even more. And now I get to play like good sagas and not just have to rely on Kiora Best the Sea God as my, my win condition. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it, yeah, so, my saga, my sagas deck, it's it's so fun. I love the card type. It's very, very exciting. Well, in the same vein of Universes Beyond stuff that we've gotten that looks super, super cool, the Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves Secret Lair pack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Unlike Tom Bombadil, these are already out and have been out for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's bizarre to look down and see Chris Pine (laughs) on a Magic the Gathering card, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. But... The six cards in this set are all really, really cool designs. They all make sense in conjunction with like what the characters were in the movie. I, I this is probably the my favorite secret layer product I think we've gotten so far, at least in terms of like universes beyond stuff. All six of those cards are excellent. I, I bought the set because I was gonna put three of them in decks anyway. Like I just found uses for all of these, and I could very easily find homes for the other three that I didn't if I was playing the right deck. They're all very fun designs, and it's you know super cool cards to to look down and and see. Um, Just a Hugh Grant randomly on a card. Yeah, right. Hugh yeah, Grant yeah. is now on a Magic the Gathering <laughs> card, and like I, I that might have been weird years ago, but at this point in, in the world of Optimus Prime and Godzilla, it's, yeah, it's just it's no longer that disconcerting. And I, I'm I've embraced it, and the fact that these cards are all so cool helps a lot. I mean, Michelle Rodriguez is going to be the first person to be on two magic cards when they do the Fast the Furious secret layer coming up <laughs> <Yeah>. in the, <laughs> the, the near future. But yeah, like it, it is it is weird seeing Chris Pine be the most handsome face on a magic card since enthralling Victor. But it, it, it's so fun. It, it, I used to kind of feel, eh, I don't know about this. But then, I, I mean, I loved The Walking Dead. I, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. I love The Lord of the Rings. So yeah. The the universes beyond products have definitely grown on me ever since they they've started to see more of them. And I gotta say, also like of those six, like Forge Neverwinter Charlatan actually does scare me a little bit. Like 
ward sacrifice a creature yeah. listen i usually like sacrificing my own creatures i don't want to have to just to target your thing you want to do it on your own terms yeah i want to do it on right, my terms right. and the problem <laughs> is that if i have to sacrifice a creature you're going to get treasures and also your thing's going to get even bigger for it he gets so huge for each treasure you control and i have we seen how many treasures you can control this thing easily drops down right. and it's probably got like a minimum of 16 extra power like in the right deck like we, we all know what prosper is up to right this is a huge win condition and it has menace they just didn't stop putting text onto this card like yeah that's that's amazing the matt i totally get why tom bombadil is so exciting for you uh if, if i had to pick one from uh, all of those also like sauron the lidless eye really catches my eye oh yeah because like it it that's the the rakdos it enters steals an opponent's creature for a turn gives it haste you can attack with it and it also has this activated ability to pump your creatures and make your opponents lose life at the same time and there's no restriction on that which is so like you have, if you have a lot of mana your opponents are in a lot of trouble like yeah these these cards are absolutely fire it makes sense you would call sauron card it, this card is fire because he is literally the lord of fire and shadow so <laughs> he served morgoth in the, the first age and i'm uh, sorry magic podcast not lord of the rings podcast my bad when the set officially comes out matt you are going to have we're gonna have we're gonna have three sets worth of just matt and dana rambling about lord of the rings and it's gonna be great we're gonna have to make sure that we get to fairy magic on here as well to talk about it because i know he's a huge lord of the rings buff as well so that'll also be extremely fun but yeah these these cards are fun i feel like we've had a lot to fill up and we're still only in april this is just some, some exciting stuff that has been released and coming up in the future so like let's talk about our impressions of how the year is starting off I feel like it's starting off well. <laughs> is that how you guys feel? Like, <laughs> how does this compare to previous years? I would say knocking things out of the uh, out of the park is is how I would describe it. I, I've liked. It, obviously, there's a lot of overlap between the two main sets we've gotten dealing with the Frexian storyline, mm-hmm. but I like the Frexian storyline. Like, I like that um, the sense of magic history there. Um, so that's something that I that I find much more interesting than. Going to a bunch of different planes that I'm that might not resonate with me. This does resonate with me more than something like a Korea did, really. Um, so I, number one, I like the fact that we've we're we're treading ground that I appreciate aesthetically and in terms of like the theme of of the world of magic. And I think we've got a bunch of really good cards so far. A lot of them are maybe kind of wordy. You you hinted at that. Mm. But I think the the wordiness is in service of things that are, for the most part, worth having a lot of words for. We've got cards that have, do a lot of things that have a lot of text, but they've all been pretty easy to grok and understand how they play. So uh, I'm pretty happy with that, too. They figured that out. Uh, yeah, it's been a pretty great start to the year. And... Um, there's a whole lot of year left, so mm-hmm. my, I, I'm I'm very optimistic about 2023 as far as um, how Magic the Gathering is looking. Yeah, 2023 certainly didn't skip a beat when it came to picking up where 2022 left off. Mm. Just bangers, just absolutely juice sets. You kind of knew when you when they saw the the upcoming lineup of of sets for Magic, and it was done in very Avengers style MCU presentation. Right. With yeah. Kevin Feige even went on to to talk about the Magic. So he, did, he didn't really, but the memes were there. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it, that type of presentation, you kind of knew what it was building towards. And then March of the Machines definitely had an Avengers feel to it. The the end game type of build up. So. Yes, it, it did not disappoint with the vibe it was going for. It's a huge impact on the set. Yeah, magic will never be the same, blah, blah, blah. I, yes, you're right. Uh, it, it It's just such a, a powerful way to start off the year. Honestly, I hope we kind of tone down the scope a little bit, maybe, just for my own 
ability to keep up with everything because like brothers war for me how that kind of set went that was golden for me and and maybe i'm just a paper boomer who knows but (laughs) 2023 is off to a fantastic set if you like big splashy powerful magic cards or if you're like dana you still have commons and uncommons you can put into every deck you own so (laughs) there is a little something for everybody with this set or with this year so far i should say yeah, no, that's a, a really good way to frame it. I, it. It's kind of funny. We actually didn't even end up mentioning any battles throughout this entire episode. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Like, Dana, you were talking about, like, you know, texty, wordy, double-sided cards. And, like, there actually are battles that I'm excited about. Like, there's a zombie one, like Invasion of Innistrad, to, like, kill a thing at flash speed. And also, if you flip it over, it makes more zombies. And I'm like, yeah, my Wilhelm deck is, like, really excited for that. I think most of the battles are a little niche in, for the most part. So that's why they aren't, like, oh, I'm excited to put this into a whole bunch of decks. But I, I also do really like the, the developments on them, even if, again, we are falling into some of that wordiness. It's entirely possible we could, like, do a show talking about battles. I, I yeah. really liked how they played so far, and I'm, I'm kind of into exploring them further. So that's something we definitely could dig into down the road. Yes, indeed. And you know what? Uh, I, I think also speaking of battles, it will be uh, we, we've really started a, a true battle for the Challenger Stats segue now that I've reclaimed my right to s- make those segues again. Um, I can't imagine that you guys are going to just take that lying down. So am I in danger for future episode segues? You are currently the monarch of segues, Joey, but we'll be trying to uh, take that away from you. Yes, you you won the battle, but you didn't win the Brothers War. <laughs> Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, I was waiting for you to see if I picked up what what I was trying to do. No, I'm stunned. Stundralina. That was Uh, absolutely... uh, Stundralina. Stundralina. Absolutely. Put a a stun counter on Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not... I can't can't keep going. We got to call this episode to a close. Listeners, we would love to hear from you about the cards from 2023 that have excited you the most so far. Um, Matt, I'm just so impressed. Again, I'm just back to the, like, just mad respect for the dad jokes. You are are a a witty, witty fella. And if our listeners want to find you on the onlines, where is it that they can do so? Well, you can catch me and all my dad jokes over on Twitter at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRETCAST. We have guests on every single time that we stream. So make sure you tune in for that as well. And Dana, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast on all the onlines. Plus, if you want to contact us, you can get a hold of us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Yeah.